Well, good morning. You know, uh, several years ago when we just had one campus, uh, we were meeting here and we moved into this building and one of the things we said, we, this cannot, this cannot be our destination. And so we started this thing called Beyond These Walls. It was a fundraiser at first and then every three years we started, we kept doing it since about 2010. And Beyond These Walls is a way that we can get beyond our walls at all of our campuses. We can reach out into a world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. Beyond These Walls was the impetus that started all the campuses. So if you are in DeBerry, or you're in Ross Traver, or you're in Wilkinsburg, or Washington, or Robinson, all the campuses were started because of those here at our church who gave sacrificially and participated in the Beyond These Walls efforts to really demonstrate to a watching world what it looks like to follow after Christ. We based it off of Acts 1.8 that talks about your home. We got to do some things here in our home and then our community and our nation and our world. This last go-around, which uh, we started about a year ago, and by the way, if you want to get involved in Beyond These Walls, there is still plenty of time. We started this uh, about a year ago, and if you were in one of the 50 meetings that we had, about 30 in my office, you would have uh, heard about a great opportunity that we wanted to get involved in in Thailand. And you would have heard about a woman named Maria, and we are privileged to have Maria with us this morning, so I want you to welcome her as she comes up. It's, it's humbling to be with Maria, and it's a privilege for us to partner with her and her ministry. So Maria is in Thailand, and right across the border in Myanmar, what used to be Burma, there has been civil unrest for years and years and years. And families have been displaced, and uh, young kids have fled across the border, and a lot of young girls. Now you can only imagine if you're a young girl you're without your family, you're on your own, and you go into Thailand, you can only imagine what's gonna happen for you to, to eat and live. And so Maria, in what's called Faith House, has a place for many of these young girls to go. There they can be safe, for one. They can learn a skill so that they have business opportunities after they leave Faith House. They learn English. Most of all, Maria teaches them about Jesus Christ, his love for them and his care for them, and then disciples them and allows them to grow. And we've had two teams go over so far. We'll send some more over if you'll let us keep coming. Yeah? Okay. <laughs> and uh, again, uh, what a privilege it is. M Maria is doing for us what we can't do, right? All of us can't go to Thailand. But Maria is reaching out to those who are going to be sold into um, the sex trade, going to be into prostitution, going to be in drugs, and she is, is saving their lives and their eternities through Jesus Christ. And it's a privilege for us to be a part of that. So I'm going to ask you to stand at all of our campuses, stand up, and we're going to pray for Maria 
as we also prepare for our service. Father, we thank you for Maria. We thank you for the the ministry that you have laid on her heart. We thank you, Father, that from, from scratch you have allowed her to begin Faith House. And we thank you for the missionaries over in Thailand that's introduced Maria to us. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have to be involved in saving these young girls, these young lives from the sex trade, from prostitution, from all the things, Lord, that they're going to be headed to without the faith house and without you. And we pray that you would encourage Maria in her work. We pray, Father, that you would provide everything she needs. We have this promise from you, Lord. We don't always have excess, but we always have everything we need to do what you're calling us to do. So, Lord, bring those girls to her home. Enlarge in it so more can come. And I pray, Father, that you would bless Maria, bless all that work at Faith House, and bless those girls. Bring them to yourself, Lord, and ground them in the essentials of the faith so they can live their lives honoring and serving you. Be with Maria and be with us, Father, as we look at your word today. In Christ's name, amen. Let's thank God again for Maria. Thank you very much. I should mention, too, Maria will be here in the South Hills. We'll be at, uh, our, in, a, in the cafe after the service today. You can go meet with her. We encourage you to do that. And when she comes back again, we're going to get her around to all the campuses. We believe in that ministry, and, and we, again, it's a privilege to be a part of it. So when I was growing up, our family lived on the main street uh, of our little town, and about a block and a half... From where we lived, our house was the hospital. So when we heard uh, sirens go off, we could go outside and see the ambulance screaming from the hospital. And in our little town, we usually knew who, what had happened to who before the ambulance got back. And I never forget one evening when I was in the second or third grade, I heard the sirens And I went out on our porch, and I was looking out on our main street, and I saw a car. It was a white Chevrolet, and it was slowing down, getting ready to turn left on 14th Street to the hospital. And even though that's been many, many years ago, in my mind, there is a mental picture of a person sitting in the passenger seat of that white Chevrolet, with a, with, a, with a charred, blackened face. Within about a half an hour, we heard what had happened, a terrible accident. The young man sitting in that front seat, the passenger seat of the Chevrolet, went to our church. And we never learned all the details of what happened, and we didn't ask a lot of questions. But that terrible accident involved a fire, a a gasoline can 
before a lawnmower and a horrible explosion. The, the young man was so badly burned, his dad couldn't wait on the ambulance and he had taken him to the hospital on his own. The young man survived. His face was, was badly burned. His, uh, his nose and ears were completely gone. He lost fingers uh, from both hands. And he spent uh, months and months in recovery and, then, and years in reconstructive surgery. I went to our church and, and was a part of our youth group. You can bet after that accident, my dad sat me down and he had some long, long talks with me about fire and gasoline and how those two don't mix. When our son Garrison was in his teenage years, uh, he, he loved to um, play with fire. He loved to see how stuff burned. And we, he was warned and disciplined many, many times. And one day, he was out mowing the grass, and I looked out to see the, the mower was stopped, and he was lighting a match by the mower. And I freaked out. I learned later that instead of weed-eating along the sidewalk, he was going to burn it to see how that worked. <laughs> but I went yelling and screaming and um, told him again that story and how dangerous that was. And from that day on, Garrison was forbidden to look at or touch a match or any lighting device without my approval and supervision. Today, Garrison is 29 years old. He lives in Oklahoma, he's married with two children, and he still has to text me before lighting the charcoal grill. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding, but that's not a bad idea. Fire contained in a, in a fire pit or bonfire or fireplace. Man, it is warm and it is soothing and it is, it is pleasurable. Fire is God's invention, and it's God's design. Through history, it has kept us alive, kept us warm, cooked our food. But man, when that fire escapes its boundaries, it comes in contact with flammable substance, just like the wildfires in California, it can do some serious damage, can't it? so can the burning passion of sex. It's God's idea. It's God's design. It's his gracious gift. And within the God-ordained boundaries of marriage between a man and a woman, it is beautiful. It is pleasurable. It's God's idea. Outside those boundaries... It is destructive, and it has burned down many homes, just like a fire out of control, all the way to the ground. Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Proverbs as we continue our study through this book. We have seen what Solomon had to say about the fear of the Lord, about humility, about resources, about how to be a true friend. We saw that last time. Today... 
We want to see what Solomon has to say about the subject of sexuality, and, uh, and we're going to find he has to say a lot. We're going to see four observations and then give three applications. Here are the observations. The importance of teaching sexuality to our children, the reality of sexual temptation, the characteristics that cause us to fall, and the dangers of sexual sin. And then we're going to see three applications, a verse to memorize and reflect upon, ways to protect our marriage, and then ways to avoid temptation. Now, as we've studied through the Proverbs, we've seen that sometimes you go through a chapter and there are several different subjects right back to back in that chapter. So, for instance, you could pick up chapter 19 and within a span of 10 to 15 verses, you're reading about money and then you're reading about lying and then you're reading about anger and then there's a proverb on marriage and on and on it goes. And we said Solomon did that because that's how life is. Life is kind of random like that. Things come at us. But when Solomon wants to talk about sex, he says, I'm going to gather it all together. And with the exception of a few passages in Proverbs, Solomon's sex talk is in Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. That's where we'll spend most of our time, so if you'll turn to those chapters. Proverbs 5, 6, and 7. Solomon hits this subject head on, And so we want to do the same thing. The first observation we see in Solomon's sex talk is this. Parents, you are the teachers of the subject to your children. Parents, teach your children about sex and sexuality. Now remember, Solomon is writing this book to parents to instruct their children. This is a book for the next generation, an inspired textbook for parents to teach their children, an inspired textbook for mentors to teach their students. And Solomon says that one of the things we as parents have to teach our children is this area of sex and sexuality. Look at chapter 5. Verses 1 through 7, my son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't know it. And now, sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. He's talking to parents, kids. Parents, teach your kids about sex. And just in case you missed it, look over at chapter 6, verse 20, when he begins another section. My son, keep your father's command and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. And parents, just in case we missed it, Look at chapter 7. My son, keep my words. 
Treasure my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your finger. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And just in case we missed it, look at chapter 7, verse 24. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to go her ways. Do not stray into her paths. And just in case we missed it, look over at chapter 23, verse 26. Chapter 23, verse 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways for a prostitute is a deep pit and adulteress is a narrow well. She lies in wait like a robber and increases the traitors among mankind. Solomon says, parents, tag, you are it. It's not the public school's responsibility to teach your children about sex. And I get tired of kids' parents, and we did, send our kids to the public schools. They are not going to teach sex the way we would. Right? We don't need to complain about that anymore. That's not going to happen. But it's not their responsibility. And you can take them out of any class you want to take them out of. And parents, it is not the Christian school's responsibility to teach your children about sex. And parents, it is not the youth group's responsibility to teach your children about sex. Scripture says it is your responsibility. It's on you. You have to do it. You're the parent. Do the work of the parent. And if you choose to punt this responsibility, your children are going to learn it. They're going to learn it from their peer group. They're going to learn it from the Internet. They're going to learn it from the promiscuous heroes that they follow, whether in sports or movies or television or music. They're going to learn it from the bisexual heroes they follow, and they're going to learn it from the gay heroes they follow because those people are not punting. Those people are speaking very overtly and openly about sexuality. And we got to get ahead of the curve. Can't punt, parents. Prayerfully, intentionally develop a plan. Not just one sex talk, but, but appropriate, ongoing, age-appropriate dialogue. You're smart. There's materials out there. Your responsibility. You know your children. You know their situations. You know their maturity. Do the work of a parent. Now, of course, if you're going to teach about this area, this has been the argument of Proverbs, you've got, you got to be doing some things right because our kids not only hear us, right, but they see. And so the second observation in the book of Proverbs is this. Sex, outside of the God-given gracious boundaries, is tempting. Can we just admit that? Sex, outside of the great gift of God, is tempting. We need to face that. We will never address 
issues in our life if we pretend they don't exist. We are sexual beings. God has created us that way. And sex, even for married couples, is tempting outside of the boundaries. There's a guy who went to the Bible chapel here years ago. He's passed away now. When he was 90 years old, he used to take me out to eat. I remember saying, man, when do these temptations stop? He said, I don't know, sometime after 90. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> One other person looked me in the eye seriously and said, you know what? I don't get it. I don't know why everyone's tempted in this area. I just don't get it. I'm not. But he was. And he fell. You see, Proverbs, Solomon's writing to his son. If, and he's saying that women are what is going to tempt you. So we'll see that mostly in Proverbs. If he had been writing to his daughter, he would have said, men are going to be ones that tempt you. So all of these instruction applies to both men and women. Look at chapter 5, verse 3. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. In ancient Israel, there was nothing sweeter than honey. It's tempting. It's sweet. There was nothing smoother than olive oil. Tempting. It's smooth. Chapter 6, verse 24 Solomon says the tempter has a smooth tongue, always has the right words. In chapter 7, verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him with her smooth talk. She compels him. And here's the deal. When a person is in that mode, they lack a conscience. Proverbs 30, 20, this is the way of the adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and then says what? I've done nothing wrong. One thing, another thing Solomon says here for sure, if you want to go down this road, if you want to go down the road of adultery, promiscuous sex, it is always available. In our world, it is always available. Chapter 7, verse 6. Solomon says he's looking out his window one night and he tells us what he sees. For at the window of my house, I have looked through my lattice and have seen among the simple, I, perceived, I have perceived among the youth a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. He, he thinks no one else is watching, but Solomon's viewing it and God sees it all. And behold, the woman meets him. She's not a prostitute, but she's dressed as a prostitute, wildly of heart. She's loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, at every corner she lies in wait. She's available. He's available. She seizes him and kisses him with bold face. She says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I paid my vow. So now, come. I've come out to meet you and seek you eagerly. I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, covered colored linens from Egyptian linen. I, I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and, and, and cinnamon. Come, let us 
Let us take our fill of love till morning because, see, my husband's gone. Let us delight ourselves in love. My husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, so he's going to be gone for a while. If you want to go down this road, always available. The, just this past week, at USA Today, uh, Lori showed me, did, a, did a, an article on a website. I'm not even going to mention the name of the website. But the tagline was, um, the tagline was, life is short, have an affair. And you can go to the website, and I, was, I, I said, Lori, seriously? And I went to the website, and it said, uh, it said uh, you know, enter, uh, 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 check in here. And I said, Lori, look, I'm watching this. I'm not checking in to this thing. I want you to be accountable. I want to see this. But it, was, it, 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 it said, um, in 2015, it had a data breach in its, in its database, and uh, many people were very embarrassed, but they said uh, they've got more people now than ever. And if you're, if you're interested in the statistics, uh, Seattle, Denver, and Dallas are the top three cities. It's just available. So I want to tell this to you very directly, to you who uh, are thinking about, heading toward, contemplating, or in and a fair. So you're going to come to me and you're going to say, Ronnie, you don't understand, man. You don't understand. I've never known such intimacy. God put her in my life. And you're going to say, Ron, you don't understand. God put him there. He, he talks with me. He cares so much about me. And you're right. I understand the temptation, but by God's grace... I don't understand, but just let me tell you what Scripture says. Don't consider yourself special. You just happen to be the cheapest and most available piece of meat in a butcher shop. The butcher shop called lust. That's all it is. You are 722 like an ox going to slaughter. So don't consider yourself special and don't dare tell me God put that person in your life. Third observation. Characteristics that cause sexual failure, Solomon says a lack of discipline is one. Look at chapter five, verse 12. And you're gonna say, it's gonna be too late, but you're gonna say how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I didn't listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. 523, he dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Discipline is being in God's word every day. When you go down this path, I'll, I'll bet you you're not. Discipline is, is worshiping the Lord with our lives. These five essentials we talk about. When, when you go down this path, I bet you you're not. Discipline is being connected with another believer who will, who, who will speak into your life. You go down this route, I bet you you're not, or you're lying to a lot of people. Lack of discipline. See, you can be a mover and a shaker in business. You can master your money. You can be a triathlete. You can be a pastor and share these words on a Sunday morning and still be a spiritual slouch, lacking spiritual discipline. 
That's one characteristic that caused us to fall. Here's the other one, lack of sense. Look at chapter 6, verse 32. He who commits adultery lacks sense. He who does it destroys himself. Look at chapter 7, verse 22. All at once he follows her like an ox goes to the slaughter or stag caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his very life. And when you give in to sexual temptation, you can bet God is not happy about it. Proverbs 22, 14, the mouth of a forbidden woman is a deep pit. Study that phrase, a deep pit in Scripture. It's never a positive place to be. He with whom the Lord is angry will fall into it. That does not mean God's angry with someone, so they're going to go fall in a pit. It means when you're heading down that path, God's not happy with you. That's not even what he created you to be. He gave you a great gift. You're either going to wait on that great gift or you're going to have be satisfied with that great gift in marriage. That's not the place for you to be. And there are consequences to it. And he hates to see these homes burn down. Number four. Sex outside of God's gracious boundaries never ends well. Chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. Speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. So honey's the sweetest. Olive oil's the smoothest in the ancient world. Wormwood, it's hard for me to say. Wormwood is the most bitter. Sharp as a double-edged sword, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she doesn't, doesn't even know it. Look at, look at, uh, look at chapter, uh, look, at, look at verse 8. Keep, keep your way far from her. Don't go near her, her door or house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to merciless, to those who are merciless. Think about that. Lest you give your years to others. You give away your strength. You give away your reputation. You give away your respect. You give away your money. Now you've got to take care of two households. You give away years of being the dad or the mom that God has called you to be. But many recognize it too late. Chapter 6, verse 25. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not, again, it's tempting, right? Solomon says that. Don't deny, don't desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is a loaf, is only a loaf of bread, but a married woman hunts down a precious life. Now, there are a couple ways to interpret that last line, but here's what I think it is. Prostitution is terrible, it's wrong, it's disgusting, it's sin, but it's cheap. But an affair, the married woman, married man, it costs you your life. It costs you, again, your reputation, your family, your kids, your marriage. The commitment, when you said, I'm going to 
be with you for better or worse, rich or poor, sickness and health, till death do us part. He just broke it. Sex outside of married boundaries doesn't end well. And um, Solomon, the writer of this material, was a case in point. Solomon is a reminder to us all, particularly those who are teachers and pastors, you can preach this and you can write it and you can talk about it and you can memorize it and not do it. We don't know when Solomon wrote the Proverbs, but he wrote every one of these that we're looking at, except for a couple chapters. But he just didn't practice what he preached. When he was old, 1 Kings 11, now King Solomon loved many foreign women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. By the way, that's why we read in 1 Corinthians, you don't marry a non-believer. They will turn your hearts away from God. God said, don't do that. Case in point. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princes and 300 concubines. And you've got to think, what was he thinking about that? But a whole other issue. And look at the next line. And his wives turned away his heart. But I'm doing evangelism dating. I'm going to bring that person to Christ. Oh, man, come on. You're going to disobey God to obey God? It doesn't work like that. Solomon didn't work for him. And again, he had a thousand, but still, his wives turned his heart to other gods, and his heart was not totally, wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David, his father. Now, David wasn't perfect by any stretch. He had his issues. But there was always repentance. There was a tenderness there. So you got Saul, right? He's the first king. You got David, he unites the kingdom. And then you have Solomon. When Solomon was king, the nations of the world came to check out Israel. It says that in Israel, when Solomon was king, that, that, um, that gold and silver was as common as stones. The queen of Sheba came and said, man, I heard about this place, but it exceeded all my expectations. And people would come and, and they, would do, they would have an audience with Solomon for his wisdom. And he blew it. He blew it. After he died, Rehoboam, Jeroboam, they have a fight and there's a civil war. And the nation of Israel, this beautiful nation, splits in two. In the north, you have Israel. In the south, you have Judah. And they're killing each other. This, this, this nation that was divided, or united, they're killing each other. And then in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came and captured Israel, took them away. And then in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came and captured Judah and Jerusalem. That's when Jerusalem fell because of sin. Uh, Jeremiah was there when all that happened. And not only does he write 
the book of Jeremiah, but he also writes Lamentations, has five poems of grief. And here's how the book of Lamentation begins. How lonely sets the city that was once full of people. How lonely sets a person who once had laughter in a full home. How lonely sets a home where a man or woman have lacked discipline and sense. All right, so how do we guard ourselves? Let's look at three things. First, I'm going to ask you to memorize Proverbs 5, 21. Here's what it says. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He, God, ponders all his paths. God sees us. He examines us. He knows our motives. He evaluates our motives. And just think about that. God is always watching. So memorize that verse. Print that verse out. Put it on the screen of your computer. Put it on your desk so that when you're talking to someone across the desk, that's looking at you and you're reminding yourself, God, you're watching. I want to do this your way. Put it on your backpack. Put it on your gym bag before you go work out at the gym. Put it, uh, put it on your mirror when you get up in the morning. Put it on your car as you're driving to appointments. Put it on your phone so that you can see it when you're calling someone back or when you're talking or, or texting or emailing. If you're a millennial, tattoo that verse all over your body. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just up and down your arms. That's a, that'd, that'd be fine. God's word speaks clearly to us. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he also reaps, right? Second observation, for those who are married, nurture your relationship. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, if you're married, husband and wife, don't deprive yourself sexually lest Satan come and tempt you. Now, I want to say this very clearly. There is never, 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 never an excuse for an affair. Never. And when you are not satisfying your spouse sexually, while there's never an excuse, the natural temptation just gets cranked way up. So God says, don't do that. If you need help, get help. Get counseling, whatever you need. But you need to be satisfying each other. Remember, Paul says your body doesn't belong anymore. It belongs to him. Your body doesn't belong to her. It belongs belong to you anymore. Only it belongs to her. So you have to do this thing together. Marshall Shelley is a former editor of Leadership Magazine, and, and he wrote about a pastor friend of his who moved into a new town and went to the local ministerium, that place where all the pastors get together. And because he was the new guy on the block, they asked him to do the invocation. And so he did the invocation, and uh, it got to the end, and, and uh, he, he meant to say, he meant to say, and God, give us continued good success. But he got his words mixed up a little bit. 
And in his best pastoral voice, ending his prayer, he said, and Lord, give us continued good sex. He said the, the room froze. He froze. And then finally, someone from the back of the room yelled out, amen. He, he said, they, they asked me to pray quite often after that. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. You know what Solomon's talking about here, don't you? Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. And I love this next word. And be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you intoxicate yourself? Why should you be intoxicated, my son? with a forbidden woman, rhetorical question, and embrace, and embrace the bosom of an adulteress. Why, why would you want to do that? And then we get back to that verse. For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders his path. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline because this great folly he's, he's led astray. Nurture your relationship. One more. Avoid areas of sexual temptation for you. We all have them. Let's admit it. Let's admit it. They're all there. So put up the safeguards. Avoid the areas of sexual temptation. Chapter 5, verse 7. And now, oh, sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. You just don't go there. You know that's going to be tempting. You don't go there. You avoid that situation. You know what places are going to tempt you. You know what people are going to tempt you. You don't go there. I'll be so bold as to say, if it's between your job and blowing up your marriage, quit your job. Find a new job. We hate to lose you, but move somewhere else. Because you don't want to burn down your house. If you have a friend, and remember last week, we're looking for that true friend, so we're working on you need to tell them what your vulnerabilities are so they can keep you accountable and you can keep them accountable. Avoid areas of sexual temptation. Look at chapter 6, verse 27. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? You don't have to ponder that one. The answer is no. It's a rhetorical question. Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Again, no, you can't do that. You can't do those things. So, is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife... None who touches her will go unpunished. Man, there are consequences for sin. Verse to memorize. Put it where you need to put it. Nurture your marriage relationship. We have a marriage enrichment class coming up in the fall uh, here at the South Hills. We'll see how we can get it to other campuses through the year. 
be a part of that. Nurture your relationship. And then be smart enough to know this is a vulnerable area. You can't go there. Stay away from the door of our house. If you play with fire, what's going to happen? You're going to get burned. If you play with sex outside of God's gracious, God-ordained boundaries, you're going to get burned. Don't play with the fire of lust. Normally, at this point, we, trans we transition to our campuses, and all the campuses have their worship teams and sing different songs at the end. But uh, we're going to stick together here for just a second because we're all going to sing this song today. This is going to be our prayer. And at the campuses, you worship teams, you guys can come on up and get ready. This is a song that we've sung before. Uh, it's, one of, it's a favorite one for me. It's a powerful one for me because of the words, and it's a great prayer. Lord, I come, I confess. Maybe you have something to confess today. Maybe you're a teenager and you're not living sexually pure. It's a new day. You got to get that behind you. And you got to get the people around you that will help you. Maybe you're a young adult and you're cutting some corners. You got to get the people around you that will help you. Maybe you are getting close to an affair. Maybe you're in today's the day you stop. I confess, bowing here, humbling yourself before God. I got to tell you, people in an affair are the most arrogant sons of guns I've ever talked to. And it's time for you to humble your heart before God because only there you'll find your rest. You're not going to find your rest in disobedience. Never. Without you, I fall apart. Boy, we know that, don't we? We've tried on our own how many times? And it doesn't work. But you're the one, the only one who guides my heart. And man, I need that guidance. The verse goes like this, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, not, not, not just once a day in my quiet time in the morning and then I check that off my list. I gotta be in communication with you all day long because every minute, every second, every hour, I need you. You're my, you're my one defense. I don't have any other defense. My righteousness, remember? My right standing before you because of Jesus. You've made me righteous and you're the only one who can allow me to live rightly before you. Oh God, how I need you. Let's look at a couple more verses real quick. Where sin runs deep. Again, this is a huge temptation for everyone. God has made us sexual beings. We can't even turn on the, t we can't even drive down to the downtown Pittsburgh without seeing something on a billboard. So where sin runs deep, we know it, you're, you're, but, but we don't have to fall for it because your grace is more. And where grace is found, that's where you are. And where you are, Lord, I am free. See, the world tells us, you go chase this other stuff. That's really freedom. But we've learned the hard way. That's the most confining place in the world. It's only with Jesus we're free. Holiness, being set apart, being set apart for God, that's Christ in me. That's the Holy Spirit living within me. One more, one more verse. So teach my song. Here's our prayer. Teach my song. Teach my prayer to rise to you. When temptation comes my way, we already said, it's here, man. It's coming. So teach me. Let, let temptation be, let temptation be the sign, the signal to begin to pray. And when I cannot stand, boy, there are times when it feels like this thing's gonna bowl us over, doesn't it? 
Temptation is so strong. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, there's no temptation has ever come upon you that's not common to man, and God's gonna either give you the strength to get through it or the way out. He will never, he, God will never give you a temptation that's too strong for you as long as you depend on him. So when I cannot stand, I'm gonna just fall on you because Jesus, you are my hope and stay.